Hi, I'm Paul Stringflow, and Happy New Year, and welcome to Tech Interviews. In this first show of the year, we do what all good podcasts do, as we take a look back at last year and look forward to 2018. So settle back, enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to Tech Interviews, first show of 2018. Um, and, and as uh, podcasts like to do this time of year, what we're going to be doing is taking a little bit of a look back at uh, the, the technology industry from 2017 and a bit of a look forward to the, uh, the tech industry in 2018. Uh, so to help me to do that is, uh, is a gentleman who, um, well, I've followed lots of his uh, social media content and, uh, and analysis output over the last couple of years and was, was lucky enough to meet him um, in, in Germany uh, at the back end of last year. Um, and so I've invited him on to talk about his kind of view of, uh, of the industry and, and where the, in, uh, you know, the technology industry might be going. Um, and to share some of his uh, some of his wide experience. So, uh, so to help me to do this kind of uh, look back and look forward show, uh, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Chris Evans. Hi, Chris. Hi, Paul. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, glad to be able to join you. And uh, no, yeah, yeah, great for giving up your time and, uh, and for joining us on uh, on the Tech Interviews podcast. So, um, so well, well, before we get started, why don't you um, introduce yourself a little bit uh, and tell people a little bit about your background and, and what it is you do? Sure. Thanks. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I am Chris Evans and. Nothing to do with either a famous actor or a famous DJ. I'm um, an IT consultant and have been for around 30 years working for companies, um, mostly in the storage industry, although I did start out on the mainframe as a systems programmer, but mostly in the storage industry, helping people design, build, and, and deploy infrastructure. Um, probably around 10 years ago, I started, uh, maybe a bit long actually, longer than that, I started blogging and for about the last seven or eight years I've done a lot more of the um, blogging and attending events and writing a lot about companies and helping them with strategy and various other things. So it's a mix of strategy, it's a mix of consulting and, and various other bits and pieces. Yeah, and I think that's what I, um, I really enjoy about the kind of the content you put out there. I think you've always got a, a really interesting and, and balanced, um, balanced view for for you know the, the the kind of the direction that the technology industry is heading in. Um, and you said in your introduction there, Chris. Obviously, you know a lot a lot of your experience I think seems to be in the kind of the data and the and the storage market and some some virtualization. And, and we were talking a little bit off air about kind of some emerging technologies as well. So um so so maybe just to kick this off then. If if we have a little bit of a look back at, at last year and, and just to kind of get your take on you know what, what you thought were kind of the the key trends and, and key messages that you saw develop throughout the year. And um, uh, was, there, was there any kind of oddities in there, anything that, that either did or didn't happen that you, you may or may not have expected? Yeah, good, good question. I think when we look at the way the storage industry is going, um, I think we're seeing multiple strands occurring. Uh, and, and I think the vendors would like us to be heading down a certain route, but actually they're diverging in what they're doing. And you might think originally that maybe hardware wasn't important and everything was heading down the SDS route. And definitely, we've seen a lot of that. We've seen a lot of software-defined storage solutions coming along. But at the same time, we've seen hardware becoming important again. So we've seen a whole set of new technology around NVMe and the use of NVMe technology compared to SATA and SAS. And, and that sort of put a focus back on hardware that perhaps we thought might have become less relevant in the discussion. So I think there's two bits. There's that, there's that hardware focus again. But yet, but at the same time, there is a there is definitely a software focus and an abstraction away from needing to understand the hardware. Yeah, and I think um, I th that's a really interesting point. I, I, we'll maybe come back to the software a bit in a minute, because I think there is a 
you know, kind of a certain, a, a definite move to this kind of idea of, of increasingly software defining stuff. Um, but you touched on technology there, um, NVMe. So, so maybe for people who are listening who are not, not familiar with, with that kind of technology shift, I mean, you know, that, that was certainly one of the kind of the big, uh, big areas we saw talked about a lot last year. But I mean, can you, can you give the listeners just kind of a bit of an overview of NVMe and, and where it sits and, and why, people, why people are interested in it as a technology? Yeah, absolutely. So think of where we've come from in the last, um, last two or three years. We've really seen the adoption of flash technology. And flash is giving us, giving us really high performance for, um, for local connectivity in our, in our storage systems. Now, flash typically is either connected through at the back end of a, um, a shared storage array through a SAS or a SATA interface, both of which are storage protocols. One of the problems with, with that technology when you start getting much faster media like Flash is that you see the, the impact of the overhead of the protocol getting involved. And with really, really fast devices, and, and we'll, we'll see uh, in the future things like Optane coming from Intel, which is an even faster version of a solid state media, what we see is we see the protocol becoming a real problem. So the industry went away and said, how can we create a new protocol which will be much more efficient when we use flash media. And the result was NVMe. And the difference is that NVMe plugs into the PCIe bus that we have got inside the server. It's, it's, in, it's actually implemented a bit, bit simpler than that. And in fact, you can get um, disks that look like standard two and a half inch drives, or you can get plug-in cards. But effectively, it plugs much closer into the CPU. And it's got a much more efficient um, storage stack, an actual I.O. stack. And the result is you see tremendously lower levels of latency and much higher throughput than you did with S, um, SSDs that were either SAS or, um, or SAS based. And, and so is the driver be kind of behind this, the, you know, the, the ever uh, the ever growing amounts of data that we're, that we're looking to consume and, and maybe the, the increasing amount of things that we're looking to do with that data and the, the increasingly the latency between the request we might make and the answer that we want back is, is forever shrinking. Um, you know, and and is, that, is that the kind of thing that's driving this technology? Absolutely, yeah. So to imagine, think about um, how Moore's laws said that the, the power of our, um, our systems should double every 18 months. And, you know, originally, it was talking about transistor density, but, but effectively, it translates into the performance of our systems. And as processors and memory have got faster and faster, storage stands out as being slower and slower, relatively speaking. So NVMe allows storage to catch up, if you like, and actually make, put us in a position where we can fully exploit the use of the, the faster processor and memory technology that we have today. Yeah. And, and I mean, the other thing they said in there that, that um, you, know, you know, is interesting as well is this, this idea of kind of the abstraction of the storage hardware from kind of from the storage operating system, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that, that we've seen in, increasingly interesting to, you know, in, in the way that you might kind of deploy a modern, a modern IT infrastructure, that actually the ability to have that infrastructure, we, again, was something we were talking about actually before we started recording, wasn't it? The idea of being able to have that infrastructure wherever we want it in kind of whatever way we want it and just kind of having it in a, the most, most appropriate way. So although, you know, this kind of, um, you know, these kind of storage technologies exist and, and this kind of storage protocol to allow us to get more and more data more and more rapidly, that not, of course, not every use case needs that kind of stuff. So, it, it, you know, is it, was that, it, it was that shift from, um, 
storage operating systems being tied to storage hardware? Was that something you expected? Um, and, and how well do you think that the industry has started to do that over the last 12 months? It's, it's funny, the, the whole idea of software-defined storage has been around for such a long time, and you'd think that by now we'd actually have had, had the, the whole thing sorted out and people would be really keen to adopt it. Yet, we still see people being really keen on dedicated hardware appliances, and I'm sure you can look at every vendor, you can look at you know, NetApp and EMC and Hitachi, they're still selling those products, but although they're not selling them in the growth market, you know, they're, they're shrinking slightly. So people, I think, have struggled to understand SDS in that sense quite to a certain degree because I guess they've been um, very, very um, comfortable with traditional vendors. Now, in the last probably 12 to 18 months, we've started to see a whole range of um, new products coming along. So we've seen so uh, software-defined storage solutions that, for example, are built out of containers, which sounds like the most bizarre thing you could possibly have, building a persistent storage solution out of a transient container environment. And it's actually, we, we won't go into the detail of that, but actually it's all about how we get that data to the application and more efficiently. So rather than having a shared storage device and multiple layers of technology before I even get to my container, by delivering the storage in, with a container, it gets it much closer to the container in the first place. And again, it eliminates a lot of that overhead that we talked about with NVMe. Um, and I think that's what the focus has been in the last, uh, 12 to 18 months, how can we actually look at the issues we're trying to solve in getting the data closer to the application to make sure the application runs as fast as possible? Yeah, and I suppose that kind of goes back as well to the kind of the development of NVMe is, is about how do I get that storage ever closer to the application, ever closer to the CPU. So, uh, you know, so, so kind of outside of those two areas, was, was there anything else that um, you saw, um, you know, maybe shift more into the mainstream in, in 2017, you know, things that, that perhaps hadn't been there the year before or things you've seen develop more, more rapidly than perhaps you'd expected? So I'll pick on um, one good example, and you and I were both at the same event, and that was at NetApp Insight where there's a lot more discussion about um, hybrid with NetApp and hybrid storage and, and their data fabric. Now, I don't want to create an advert for NetApp, far from it, but what it does demonstrate is that um, the, the public cloud vendors are looking at it and thinking, well, somehow we have to find a way to span on-prem and cloud in such a way that people find it easy to get their data into the cloud. Because if you go back four, five, six years ago, we used to have this concept of, in inverted commas, cloud bursting, where somehow we were going to move our application into the cloud, allow it to run there and bring it back. And I don't think in reality much of that happened the way that people said, simply because the inertia of moving that data back and forth was really hard. So this year we've seen NetApp come out with their Azure, um, Azure NFS, Enterprise NFS solution, which allows you to effectively get the same features and functionality of a NetApp box sitting in the cloud. And then presumably at some point, I'll be able to connect that to my on-prem and very easily get my data in and out of the cloud. So I think we're starting to see definitely quicker than possibly it seemed that the public cloud providers are wanting to adopt other technologies to help them get applications and data into the cloud more effectively. Yeah, and I think I, mean, I think one of the things, in, and probably this has been something that we've seen over the last couple of years as well, and certainly my experience, is I think we all, you know, many of us who kind of, you know, do kind of a bit of industry analysis or, or look at the industry, I think we all expected, you know, cloud to be the death of of lots of more traditional vendors. But 
I, I think from our experience, and, and I don't know if it's the same for you, I, I, I don't think we've seen the jump to everything in the cloud going quite the way that we expected, and certainly not at the pace that, that maybe was expected. I mean, is that your experience as well? Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think, I think the, it's fairly easy for the people who are all, all in on the cloud, if you like, to, to say everything else is dead, the cloud's going to take over, it's all just going to happen, so just get used to it. And in reality, um, there's always people who follow the industry a lot quicker and are early adopters and want to get on in, in, on that. And there are always lots of companies who actually don't have the same level of um, agility and, I guess, budget, and their inertia is much greater, and they're very happy with where they are today, thanks very much. They need you know, somebody to explain the benefits to them in a lot more detail, because obviously adopting public cloud isn't just a case of running your workload somewhere else. There's a whole set of new um, processes to learn. Now, as a result, I think we've seen huge adoption of the cloud, but at the same time, there's still lots of people who either are not considering it at all or are looking at a hybrid model because they want to have uh, ownership of some of their data and they want to hold on to that data maybe on-prem and they want to make sure that it's not fully in the cloud because they're not trusting that the cloud security is good enough, even though it probably is. So I think for lots of reasons, people are probably comfortable with a, with a hybrid environment. And, and if you look back over the last 40 or 50 years worth of computing, that sort of fits with the way that people have always done things. Companies have always, especially at a very large enterprise level, have always got one of everything because at some point somebody said, this is a great solution for the problem, let's use that. But there was never going to be a wholesale move to that because that was a great thing for that particular point and maybe they moved to it 70% and they still kept some of the stuff in the background. So do you think, um, you know, I suppose as, as we explore some of these kind of things from, you know, that we've seen over the last 12 months, I mean, do you think it's, it, it's fair to say that the focus for the data industry. I don't just mean storage vendors here. You know, this can include, you know, whether that's a, somebody like a Veeam or somebody like that as well. You know, so it's companies who are involved in kind of the control, the management, you know, the, the uh, you know, the analysis of data. Do you think that the that what we've seen over the last 12 months really has been a focus on trying to simplify the way that we can access and manage and look after our data? And, and to add, you know, and to, and to make it more straightforward for, for making that data more mobile so that we can move it between these different kind of storage repositories without, uh, without worrying too much about what maybe what the back-end technologies look like. You know, is that, is that kind of a, you know, is that, is that a summary of a lot of the shifts that we've seen? I think, the, um, I think I'd agree with you on the um, abstracting away from the back-end technology. That's a great thing, you know, not to have to care what particular platform you've got something stored on is great. You know, being able to do that would be wonderful. Um, I think the, the way I've seen things so far in the last sort of 18 months is that in fact what we've seen is a, the implementation of a lot of point solutions that do some of that for you. So if you, if you look at say, you know, Veeam can do it one way, um, you could move applications with other technologies like Zerto that could um, stretch the, um, the application into the cloud or Velostrata, million and one different technologies that can do things in lots of different ways. But I haven't seen anything that sort of brings us all together and says, here's one solution for your data, whether you want to back it up, whether you want to um, migrate it in, whether you want to expose it to a container or to a VM or to an analysis tool, or you want to put it into the cloud and do some analytics on it. I haven't seen something joined up. I've seen lots of individual solutions, and I think perhaps as a, as a th if we actually talk about where we're going to go going forward, I would have said 
that's probably the challenge going forward is how do you how do you bring all of these things together in one consistent view uh, well, we'll come to we'll come to that in a sec. Uh, mm. Just one last question on 2017, actually. So, so was there anything that um, you know that, that people were feeling was going to be um, a big bet, or maybe something that we've, we've been doing traditionally? Was there anything that you kind of saw in that kind of data and storage market? Anything that kind of dropped away and, and died a bit of a death last year that maybe you'd not expected to see? Well, I think there's I think there's not been as big a take up on object storage as we um, as we could have had. It seems to me it seems to me that object offers huge advantages in the sense that um, you can you can scale it massively compared to putting everything in a file system. Um, you can distribute it globally if you're if you're so inclined without having to replicate it, and you can distribute it across multiple data centers. And I would I was I was thinking that we might see much more of an uptake of object, partially because public cloud things like S3 was sort of pushing that way, but just generally because we were starting to see some vendors bringing out um, tools that allowed you to manage multiple object stores in a more consistent manner. But I don't think, I don't think object stores really taken off the way I thought it would have done. I mean, do you think that's a complexity thing or an understanding thing? Because oh, I think that's a really good point. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, uh, probably like you, of, of what objects can do. But yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think, I, I can't think of trips over hundreds of object storage projects either. So, no. you know, what, what I say, is that, is that kind of a complexity or an understanding thing or just, just an, an unknown at the moment? I think two bits. I think, first of all, people always talk about the programming issue of having to change your application so it writes using uh, a different a different method, a REST API, rather than, say, looking like a file system. Now, that's, that's quite a big challenge to get over, because it's not just an API that says, how do I write records in and out? But there's subtle other things involved in that, such as every time I write an object to an object store, it's a brand new copy of that object. So if I've got a, a 10 gigabyte file and I change one byte in it, I'm potentially creating another 10 gigabytes. So that, you know, there's lots and lots of specific technical issues to that. And it's only recently that we're starting to see vendors bringing out file interfaces that can make an object store look like a file system. Mm -hmm. So that it's taken time for that to come around. And I think that's probably been the biggest challenge. The other, the other one that's definitely mentioned, which um, perhaps is becoming less of a, an issue, especially with a lot of the software solutions for objects, and that's how much data you've got to store. So a lot of the object storage vendors would say, well, unless you've got you know, 100 terabytes, 500 yeah. terabytes, I wouldn't talk to you. So, so the adoption for somebody who's got 50, 100 terabytes, what do they do? Oh, I'll stick it in the file system. I'll just carry on as I was. Yeah, and I think especially as you, you, know, as you move outside of the US into that kind of market, you know, where in the UK or across Europe where you know, lots of infrastructure just aren't of that size. So yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting take. So um, yeah. well, well, as I say, you know, it'd be very remiss of us, wouldn't it, for a first podcast of 2018 not to look forward. Um, you know, we, we've done a bit of looking back there. So, you know, so for, I, I was talking before about you know, the, the kind of folk who, um, uh, who listen to the show and hopefully find something useful from it are often mm. people who are 
looking at kind of uh, their, their technology strategically. So the kind of things that they should be looking at, the kind of things that maybe to make in their technology investment bets in in the future, whether that's just next year or two, three, four years down the road. So so again, take, you know, put in, putting your kind of industry analyst hat on. Um, I mean, what, what kind of things should we be looking at in 2018? You know, what, what are the kind of areas that, you know, if you were to pick two or three areas perhaps that, that you feel are going to be something that we're going to see move and, and start to become more commonplace or, or, or to be adopted more rapidly. Okay, so let's let's start with NVMe and let's follow up from where we got to in terms of the way we were talking about it. I think we're going to see more and more people um, talking about NVMe and how their products are NVMe enabled, and you're seeing a whole set of disaggregated solutions for NVMe, and there's going to be talk about NVMe everywhere. And I think the first thing people need to look at and say is, do I really need that? So you know, from a it's, it sounds like a great technology concept, but actually, do I really need that level of performance? Because um, I might be very happy with the technology that I have today, and NVMB will, without a doubt, be at a price premium going forward. So I would, I would look at it and say, yeah, I might, I might want that level of performance, but I need to come up with a good reason why I think it's worth a migration to that technology. Don't just migrate to that technology for the, for the sake of it. Um, but within that, if you decide that you want to get technology that's faster. I think what you need to do is you really need to look at who's implementing it and how are they implementing it. Because um, the one thing with, with the way that NVMe works is that it, it makes other parts of the architecture the bottleneck. So you, you might see some vendors implement it and you see a doubling of the performance in the storage product before and after. Well, actually, um, NVMe can do something like 10 times the performance of a traditional SSD. So you've lost something somewhere. And if you're happy with that and you're prepared to pay the price premium, that's great. But it may well be that uh, you know, you're, you're buying a solution that's NVMe for the sake of it, and you're not really getting value for money. So I'd really think about whether NVMe is really suitable for you. Yeah, and I suppose that's the, the idea that it's OK just throwing this you know, massively improved storage performance at your infrastructure. But again, if the, you know, it's, it's that classic IT problem, isn't it, of um, you know, moving the bottleneck around. So yeah. you know, where where you might have, um, you know, I've, I've made this super fast performance, but actually I just don't have the compute power power at the back end of it. And, I mean, interesting. One of the things you touched on there was um, mm -hmm. understanding whether NVMe is actually the right technology for you. So, so I mean, it's, it's a couple of, you know, if, if I was listening to this as a as an IT director and, and looking strategically forward, you know, is it is there certain things that I might be doing in my organisation where this might be something that's worth considering? Yes. <clears throat> yes. Sorry. So again, I'll cough. <clears throat> yes. So um, there are definitely reasons why you might think something like NVMe could be useful. So imagine um, where we were when we looked at all flash, say four or five years ago. The all flash um, vendors came in and said, "We can give you that's the new tier zero, something really fast." And there were probably applications that are latency bound, as in it doesn't matter how much. Um, storage you throw at it, the issue is actually latency, reducing the, t you know, the time for that I.O. to complete. And all flash was sold on that, on that basis. We can reduce that latency significantly. You'll pay more for the privilege, but actually that might be a massive saving compared, in, compared to rewriting your application. And I think that's probably where we'll see a lot of the NVMe-based solutions coming in, where people say, this application is just really straining. We need to think of a way to make it run faster and we don't want to invest in rewriting it. So let's put a bit of faster hardware in that reduces that latency and gets it and gets the problem fixed. 
and and I think from that point it might spread out further into the into the, um, the ecosystem of the company. But I would imagine that's where people will see it go first of all. Yeah, and that, like I say, I think that makes sense. That's a, that's a good parallel with Flash, isn't it? In that you know we're we're almost doing the lazy bit, which is just give it more horsepower. Don't worry about how it was written in the first place. Yeah, but, but it, I think it's more than that. So you know there are certain applications that are always latency dependent. Um, your traditional monolithic um, database applications typically suffer if the, the if if the latency isn't isn't good enough, and it's almost like you can't really do anything about it. Um, even if you rewrite the application, it's always it's very hard to get around that problem in the first place because obviously those applications are very uh, cons highly consistent, and latency becomes a real a real um, consideration when you're building them. So in actual fact, it's it could just be that that's the only solution you can actually do, and it's not necessarily you know possible to rewrite the application. Yeah, and I think we've seen some really good use cases over over the last 12 months. Uh, you know, personally, that where organisations have done that, and actually it's created brand new business opportunities for them because they can now you know analyze data that they held so much quicker you know reports that maybe used to take a day and now taking minutes because they moved to flash you know this is before we even look at NVMe so so I think you know there's lots of legitimate reasons for, for making that kind of investment as well yeah absolutely um, and there, there's an interesting one I mean it's not all about solving problems is it it's it could be about a business opportunity that somebody might say, well, if I could get this work done in a tenth of the time, actually, this would deliver me some of the benefit. And you know, sometimes it's about that rather than just fixing a problem. So, so alongside um, uh, development of NVMe and, and mm -hmm. wider adoption of that, you know, what, what other kind of areas would you would you expect to see? Um, you know, be the kind of things that catch people's imagination this year. Here's another one I think that's really interesting that is starting to come out, and that's the the idea of um, high-performance file systems, but not done in the same way that they were done when we, we saw things at Isilon, but ones that you can actually deploy on your own, on your own um, hardware, or you can de deploy in the public cloud. So we're talking about scale-out file systems that use back-end uh, SSDs, or if they're in the cloud, would use cloud-based SSDs um, and would run inside a VM. Now, why, why would you do that? Um, I guess it might seem like you might think, well, I just want a faster file system, but actually, it's more likely that you might have a lot of um, unstructured data that's in a file system that you want to be able to run analytics against, and perhaps putting it into the cloud and being able to scale out many, many um, machines in order to um, analyze that data becomes really useful. So, and, and we're starting to see a number of scale-out file system vendors coming along, all of whom have spent probably the last three or four years, maybe five years, working on their file system to get it 100% robust. But the, the difference being that they're now, they're now in the cloud. Now, just, just on that note, actually, um, this afternoon before we started recording, I spotted something that a company called Avia. I don't know whether you know Avia Systems. No, no. Um, they're a, a, a NAS platform, but they actually uh, started from um, the ability to extend NAS from your data center to the edge. So they gave you this ability to do edge computing. We saw them acquired today, literally this afternoon, by Microsoft. And I wonder whether we're going to see Microsoft looking at solutions like Avere to deliver that core edge uh, analytics um, benefit. So the most obvious thing is you, you put in a, a scale-out file system and you run analytics in your own data center. But imagine you can't push all of your data into the core. Imagine you're very distributed and you're a business that's got yeah. data being created in a 
in a branch office or in a warehouse or you know other other places where you don't have high degrees of compute but you want to pull that in for analytics in the center that's a technology with, that a via could deliver to a distributed scale out file system that would allow people to do really really interesting things with data that might be distributed across their environment yeah, it's something we talked about earlier on as well. Again, a bit, lots of things we discussed before we started recording. Mm. <laughs> it was gold. We should have recorded it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but, um, but that was one of the things we talked about, wasn't it, actually, the, the, this increase in the ability to have this idea of a distributed file system, you know, a, that almost single namespace idea across yeah. a wide-ranging organization because actually people just want to be able to access the data where they can, you know, to pinch a marketing type phrase, I get, get the most value from it at, at any particular point. And um, I did show uh, kind of back end of last year where we looked at this idea of scale out uh, file storage because again, you know, I, I think it's certainly in my mind before I, before I had that conversation was the idea that you would just do this based on size. I've got lots and lots of data I want to store in one big bucket. But actually kind of what you're touching on there, lots of the use cases for this are not about that. They're actually much more about the scale out compute capability that that gives you. So the idea yeah. that lots and lots of storage nodes, wherever those nodes might be and whatever they might look like, but their ability to kind of parallelize, parallel, parallelize I'm just making up words now. Yeah, uh, but, you did. But yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, well, whatever that word is, the real word is, I'll put it in the show notes. But, um, you know, <laughs> but to, to, to use that kind of parallelism to say, yeah, you know, we can, uh, you know, we, we can run, even if it's a small data set, across lots and lots of nodes to give you that kind of I.O. performance that you, you might not get any other way. So, so I think, I, I agree, I think that, that, that might be an interesting shift that we, we see this year, more people doing that. And, and certainly that kind of Microsoft acquisition, I think, is always interesting to see what Microsoft do with those acquisitions and where they, where they kind of bake that technology at a, at a later date. Yeah, so think, think of two other things there. I mean, I think you touched on a couple of bits, Paul, that were quite interesting. So first of all, I may have a small data set that I need to distribute to many, many people, but I want to make sure it's consistent. So if I update this small data set of files, whatever it happens to be, when I distribute it out to my 500 or 1,000 branches, it needs to be consistent, and I need to be able to just push it out in one go. I don't want to have lots and lots of transfer jobs moving or whatever it happens to be. Um, that's one scenario, and it might be that some data comes back in in that same fashion. Uh, you know, traditional retail might find that really useful, for example. The other thing is that, that you might, we, we, we saw something, sorry to go back to NetApp Insight, but obviously that's why we were talking about some of these things initially, but you see some ideas being discussed there around how um, applications could be capturing data at what people are now starting to call the edge, as in their branch offices or you know, other places where they might have things like video cameras and so on, but then they want to process it in the cloud because that's, the where, that's where all the advances in machine learning and, and so on are being, are being delivered much quicker than they would be on your, own, uh, on your own data center. And as a result, what you might want to do is push some of that data into the cloud to be analyzed and then do something with the results. Now, that's that core edge um, distributed problem yet again. I mean, it might not be big files. It might be, I think the example that was used in Insight was the idea that every time a customer comes into a branch, um, of a bank, you might take a picture of them and you might do sentiment analysis to see whether they're happy or sad or whether they're a face you recognize so that they can be greeted properly at the door or something like whatever it happens to be. But you want to, you want to do that analysis in the cloud and you can't really do that unless you can actually distribute that data even easily across many, many locations. And, and this goes back to something we spoke about earlier on about actually some of the movement we saw last year was actually simplifying that process as well. You know, that kind of integration of 
cloud compute potentially and, and cloud storage with what we're doing on-prem because I, sp I suppose as most people listening to this know and, and saying that we do that the idea that not everything can go and live in the cloud and certainly can't go and live there easily for all kinds of reasons you know whether that's a technology reason or uh, you know a governance reason you know it's, it's not not always that so so you know that idea of, of tighter integration of, of that kind of piece you know certainly Certainly, I'm with you. I mean, I, I can expect that we'll see a, a lot more of that the, the, this coming year, and, and that will be something that we probably see advance quite quickly. So, I suppose as, as we kind of come to uh, come to the end of our time here, because I, I, I feel we could probably have this conversation for many hours yet, but you know, people people will stop listening at some point um, if they haven't already. Um, but if there was a kind of a So as uh, always goes, uh, nothing nothing like starting recording your first podcast in 2018 without uh, without technology failure. Uh, so myself and Chris were chatting away uh, nicely there about uh, kind of uh, you know, par you know uh, parallel I I uh, parallel storage, uh, and parallel I/O, and and some of the things that that might allow us to do. When the entire recording session just fell on its backside, so we've got absolutely no idea where we was up to. I think that's fair, Chris, isn't it? I think it is fair. I mean, it's amazing how this technology really lets you down just when you need it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so rather than trying to figure out where we was up to, we are going to plow on, um, plow on regardless, um, and and kind of just as a, as we come to uh, the end of our recording time. Now, this might only be half an hour for you, but it's taken us about six hours to record this. I think yeah. this afternoon uh, with one technology challenge or another. Um, so rather than just kind of replay what we were talking about before, you know, and I, and I think we, we we're in broad agreement there that I think one of the things we do expect to see more of in 2018 is this idea of kind of scale out storage for all the things it gives is not just this idea of big storage buckets where we can put lots and lots of data but actually for that ability to give us increased performance and to use things like cloud tools in the background where we can move this data quickly use that kind of cloud analytics engine to give us answers and allow us to do things that we perhaps couldn't do if the data just lived in cloud or just lived just lived on-prem um, so I think we would probably to um, to, to kind of wrap this up and one of the things that I think both myself and Chris are expecting is going to be a huge topic for 2018 is that topic of data privacy particularly around the general data protection regulation the EU GDPR um, so so Chris maybe you know how, how you know it, it, it would be silly of us to say do we think that's going to have an impact I think quite clearly it does um, but, but from a from a technology point of view you know putting in our usual disclaimer here of that mm. this is absolutely a legal and compliance issue and not not a technology issue per se, um, but, but how do you see the um, the impact on on those designing their data solutions, both vendors and and businesses, how they use data? I mean, what are the kind of things that you're expecting to see change in 2018 because of because of this change in regulation? Yeah, you're right. By the way, um, GDPR will I think very much be focused on people and process and less on technology, simply because of what it's dealing with. But and we're talking about technology here, and let's think about the impact there. Now, um, from from a user perspective, clearly, if you've been following the rules of, of data protection regulations for the for the last 20 years since they were introduced in 1998, as I assume people have already got a data protection policy in place, and all GDPR is going to do is make them have to be a bit more um, a bit more accurate on that. But Actually, that's probably not the case. I think we'll probably find that most people were pretty lax at it before and now feel like they have to do something a bit more, a bit more um, detailed. Now, from a technology perspective, I think what that really means is you need to start looking at what your data is. Can you, can you put your hands around it? 
And the difference between what we might have done 20 years ago and what we do now is that all of that data might not sit in your own data center. So it might be in the public cloud, it might be on laptops, it might be on devices that you share, um, it might be on mobile devices. The question is, where is it? And you need to be able to identify it. And I think that's, from a technology, technology perspective, you still have to be able to do that. Can I go out and say, here's every application I own and here's what I think the data is that relates to it? And then within that, you still need to be able to identify whether you think that data represents PII, is it personal information in some way? And you need to be able to flag that and track that. So technology-wise, you still need to be able to, to manage all of those processes. And from a data protection perspective, you need to make sure you're protecting your data, that you can restore it in a timely fashion, and that if necessary, um, you've got a, a data management policy that says how you destroy your data. Now that, that might seem counterintuitive, I think, sometimes, but, but actually if you say, we keep our data for this length of time and then we destroy it when we feel it's no longer used within the environment, that's as good a policy as it is to retain the data and thus the two are important. So I think, I think from a technology perspective, we need to make sure we're implementing tools that can identify our data, can map it all and track it all and say where it all sits, that we can clearly identify that we are implementing policies to protect it, that we're implementing policies that secure it, and that we can audit all of that. And I think that's where the technology side will become more important. And, and do you think that we might see, um, and maybe this is a cynic in me, uh, New Year, but same old cynic. Uh, I mean, do you think we might see um, a, a changing of the message that we see from some? Because uh, I think, in, you know, over the last year, we've seen lots of technology companies running around telling us how their technology is going to help us be uh, GDPR compliant, when, of course, reality is that, that no technology is really going to help you to, to do that, if you can be comp fully compliant at all. In fact, if there's ever ever a solution for to make compliant. But... Mm -hmm. um, you know, do, do you think we might see some of the vendors starting to, uh, some of the technology companies starting to realize that maybe that's the case and, you know, to, to maybe to make that message more about how they can help you as, as part of a much wider, you know, data privacy and, and data protection solution? Yeah, so you're right. There's no such thing as compliance. There's no certification. There's no way of saying, I, I comply with the rules full stop. There's not like a, um, a process you can run that says, it, run this against your system and it'll come back and give you a, a green light that says you, you are compliant. It doesn't exist because it's, it's too vague a, um, a regulation for you to be able to get that in any sort of con, uh, succinct uh, implementation. So don't think that that's ever going to happen. But what I would hope is that the vendors that have technology out there um, that stores our data, backs up our data, actually want to work with customers and help them understand what the issues are and almost try not to sell to them on that basis, but just trying to give them advice and say, either A, here's how our product meets what the regulation says, and here's what you need to consider. Uh, for instance, primary storage uh, systems, do I really need to encrypt everything that's on that device? Probably not. Um, but, but at the same time, go back and look at things like policies for destruction of data on devices that you throw away, like disk drives that get replaced and so on. I'd hope they'd step up and start talking about how those sort of things are being dealt with today if they weren't doing it before. And I think the data protection people should be stepping up and saying, here's all the things to, to, that we, we offer as a solution that helps you identify all your data and make sure it is all backed up, and here's how to identify the gaps. And it's not a new product per se, it's just making sure that you're using the, the current product effectively. Um, that would be a nice thing to see for once. 
Yeah, and I think that fits into something that you know I think we do expect to see, which is again uh, companies again using software. And we we started this off, didn't we, talking about kind of the the move towards a more software-defined infrastructure and technology yeah. solution stack that actually utilizing software to just to make some of these processes easier for us, you know, to, to simplify the process of not only being able to move our data around, but as you said, you know, be able to audit it, be able to track it, be able to understand regardless of the repository it lives in, that it's in the place where it should be and it's not being utilized in a way that it shouldn't. So so hopefully we will we'll see much, much more of that. And I'm with you, I, I hope to see that, you know, technology vendors continue to make um, the complicated life of the IT uh, IT decision maker and an IT professional uh, continue to try and make that more straightforward. So, yeah. well, look, Chris, we, we've, we've come to the end of our time here, and uh, you know, p particularly thanks to our, our technology problems <laughs> that we've, we've seen today. Our, uh, but you know, all the challenges are always a good thing. Um, you know, where would we be without them? Um, yep. So, for so for people who um, have enjoyed kind of your insights today and, and, and what you've covered, um, is there a way that they can find out more about some of the stuff that you write and, and some of your, your you know, uh, find you on the Twitters and LinkedIn, etc. Yeah, sure. You can um, you can stalk me on Twitter at Chris M Evans. The M's in there simply to make sure I stand out from all the other 10 million Chris Evanses <laughs> in the world, especially the famous ones. You can get me at blog.architecting.it. No www in, the, in front of that. Just HTTPS or HTTP blog.architecting.it and I'm on LinkedIn and I think I'm probably relatively easy to find on LinkedIn I would say. I'll make sure all those links uh, links go in the show notes and, and it would be remiss of me uh, not to mention as well because obviously we have a podcast listening audience here uh, your uh, excellent uh, storage unpacked podcast so um, where can yep. people find that as well? Yeah sure so I also do a podcast with um, a couple of other guys called storageunpacked.com which is the URL and we we tend to talk about I guess storage related issues a bit like yourself, uh, interview vendors, talk about not just the technology, less than the technology per se, but more, more about what the issues in the industry are and about how you solve them. I think we've, we've sort of gone down that focus rather than deep dive tech stuff. Um, but yeah, storageimpact.com. Yeah, and it's a, it's a real good show, and I, I would certainly recommend anybody listening to this who uh, in, enjoys a, a data and storage-related podcast to, to certainly check it out. Again, I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. So, um, well, look, Chris, uh, th thank you for helping us to get the uh, Tech Interviews uh, 2018 show, shows off to a great start. And uh, may, maybe we'll do this this time next year and, and have a look back at um, how well the things we thought were going to go and go well in 2018 and see how well they actually did. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? Yeah, we'll do that, Paul. Thanks very much. All right, Chris. Well, look, thanks for your time. Much appreciated, and uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that episode. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. Next time, we take a look at what's likely to be 2018's biggest topic, and that is, of course, data privacy, and particularly the EU General Data Protection Regulation. So to help me to do that, I'm joined by my very favourite data privacy guru, Sheila Fitzpatrick. So to make sure you catch the show, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as all other good homes podcasts. So until next time... Thanks for listening.